All right. This is going to be a fascinating conversation, I believe. Um, fortunately, in Canada, we don't have a lot of mass murders. We do occasionally, and we've seen a few of them in the last year or so, of course. But um, if you think about what goes on in the United States, specifically around school shootings, and that's sort of the focus of the research for our next conversation, um, unfortunately, they've become a routine event, right? We, we know that at this point. Um, they're expected. Um, it's shocking. It's sad. Really sad, but it is true. There is a routine that happens every single time one of these incidents happens. Within seconds of people being slaughtered, people uh, are weighing in and speculating about what caused it. What, you know, what's the problem? What's the issue? Why does this keep happening? We have the same conversations every single time, over and over and over. And you know all these old suspects. Uh, video games will get brought up. Musics will get uh, brought up. Um, one of the most often cited issues, though, is mental illness. We've got a mental illness problem that we have to address. Is that true? How big of a factor is mental illness when it comes to mass murder, specifically school shootings? We're going to chat with Dr. Raghi Gurgis, who is the director at the Center of Prevention and Evaluation, an associate professor of clinical psychiatry at Columbia University and the New York State Psychiatric Institute. Doctor, thank you so much for your time. I appreciate you being us uh, being with us today. Thank you for having me, Shay. To start, why don't we just tell us about the research that you did? What exactly did you look into? What were the incidents? How many? And what were you looking for? We examined about 1,800 mass murders, most of which are mass shootings, perpetrated between 1900 and 2019. And we defined, defined mass murder, in this case mass shootings, by having at least three fatalities. So this doesn't include mass shootings and other sorts of mass murder in which there were less than three fatalities, not including the perpetrator. Okay. We examined mass shootings all over the world. We wanted to examine changes over time. We wanted to examine differences between countries. And we wanted to examine differences between uh, methods used. We recently published this paper on mass shootings in particular, or mass murder in general, but also mass shootings. We found that using that definition, there were 82 school-based mass murders perpetrated around the world between 1900 and 2019, 57 of those were mass shootings. That, so there, there are many more, again, I want to focus people on, on our definitions, three or more fatalities. So many more happen in which there are maybe three or more fatalities. But uh, So we focused on three or more fatalities, which is the, which is the c congressional definition. Right. Of a mass shooting. And, and, and like you say, it's not just U.S. We, we, we have a famous incident here in Canada that, that took place in Montreal. That was part of this grouping, right? That's right. Now, you were taking a look to see what some of the, you know, wh what kind of a role mental illness played. So so what was your, your definition? I mean, obviously, when somebody does something like this, there's a question about mental illness at any level. But what were you, t when you defined whether or not mental illness was a factor, how did you determine that? We, thank you. We examined all the reports that we could find, primarily news reports, also court and police records whenever they were available, for any indication of any sort of mental condition, either diagnosed or otherwise. And the people examining these reports were clinicians. Myself, I'm a psychiatrist, as you mentioned, also psychologists and other sorts of people. Okay. Obviously, please, go ahead. So, so you're, you're, you're looking at, a, like, would it be a clinical definition then of mental illness or something that you can say, okay, clearly we can diagnose this? Would that be what we're looking at? Yes, a categorical, a categorical diagnosis based 
on you know what how we would define mental illness per the DSM, the Diagnostic and Statistical okay. Manual of Mental Disorders. And you found in the majority of these incidents, including the, the shootings, mental illness was not a factor, correct? That's exactly right. Uh, in fact, mental illness is a factor in a very small minority of cases. Now, mental illness is relatively highly prevalent in the population in general. So among mass shooters, it's also relatively prevalent. The question is, what's the difference between the prevalence of mental illness among mass shooters and, and the prevalence of mental illness among the general population? And we could even look at the potential primary contribution of potential primary contribution of mental illness to the mass shooting itself. Like, was mental illness actually a primary motivating factor? And we can tell you this. Number one, the prevalence of mental illness among school mass shooters very closely matches the background prevalence of mental illness in the general population. And then number two, when we look more specifically about the, the, the motivating factors behind, behind the mass shootings, we find that very few of these are related to mental illness at all. That's, it's fascinating. It really, really is. And I think that's probably surprising. Was it surprising to you to find that? It was not. We set out to create this database with this objective in mind. We knew this anecdotally, that mm -hmm. mental illness is not primarily responsible for mass shootings. We wanted to show this using data and evidence-based methods. So we went in with a, with a hypothesis, and our hypothesis was pretty much proven. We, we, among, uh, we and other people in the mental health Field, understand this and have known this for a long time. Now, certain types of mental illness, primarily depression, bipolar disorders, psychotic disorders, and substance use disorders, do slightly increase risk of violence in general. And, and, and we know that, and there's no doubt about that, but that increase in risk is slight, and that certainly isn't responsible for the majority of violence in general and definitely not mass shootings. So is there a downside then to the fact that I think most people are walking around thinking, oh, that, that there's mental, I mean, that's mental illness. That's a major factor. We need to address the mental il illness crisis. What's, what's, the, what's the, the risk in having that sort of thinking surrounding these kinds of incidents? There are two main risks. One is that generates unnecessary stigma and a lot of unnecessary stigma. And two, it prevents us from addressing the real problems. What are those real problems? I guess that's the next question. That's the obvious. Did you look into that? We did. And there's a fair amount of consensus among experts uh, at the moment. And the consensus among ex experts is, generally speaking, mass shootings are a cultural and societal phenomenon. What that means is that individual level, level risk predictors are not going to help us prevent prevent mass shootings. We need to look at large cultural and societal drivers of mass shootings and mass murders in general. Um, are, are we doing that? I mean, this kind of research obviously should be informative as to, to what we look at for ways to try and reduce some of this violence, right? That's right. Uh, it, it helps. Most of the predictors that we and others have looked at so far have been these individual level predictors. And now I think there is enough research out there to demonstrate that the individual level predictors aren't really going to contribute very much. And we need to look more at cultural and societal drivers as we, as we and others have started to do. Really, really interesting work, Doctor. Thank you so much for joining us today and talking about it. I appreciate it.
Hi, it's Shauna, and I might be a bad parent because my kids think french fries are vegetables. Hey, it's Ryan, and I might be a bad parent because I went out for wings when my wife was in the hospital after giving birth. Johnny here. I might be a bad parent because in my house, the tooth fairy gives pocket change. But we're not alone. Len emailed us and said his six-year-old daughter's Tarzan moment going from love seat to lazy boy by curtains made him more proud than any dance <laughs> recital. And Andy left his two-year-old at the rink. All right, guys, I'm sure we're not alone, like Andy's kid. For stories and confessions like this, make sure you check out our podcast. It's called Bad Parents, and it's available wherever you get your podcasts. I left a glove at the rink.